Today is Friday, April 2nd, and you're listening to The Morning Announcements. I'm Sammy Sage. You guessed it, we are starting with the Derek Chauvin trial again. Four interesting witnesses testified yesterday, including George Floyd's girlfriend, two paramedics who treated Floyd in the ambulance, and Derek Chauvin's former shift supervisor on the police force. The first witness was George Floyd's girlfriend of a few years, Courtney Ross, who spoke about how they had both struggled with chronic pain, which led to an opioid addiction, and that they both went in and out of sobriety as they dated. She also talked about his character, about how much he loved his mom, and talked about her all the time, and how losing him left him like a shell of himself. Both paramedics who testified yesterday said that Floyd had no pulse and appeared to be dead by the time they arrived. Derek Smith was the first paramedic to testify and said that when they pulled up to the scene in the ambulance, he saw that Floyd wasn't breathing and was unconscious, and that Chauvin was still on top of him. He also said that no life-saving measures were taken until Floyd was in the ambulance and that he had to use his own handcuff key to unhandcuff Floyd. The second paramedic to testify, Seth Bravender, said that one police officer got into the ambulance with Floyd and was trying to administer CPR. Chauvin's former ship supervisor, Sergeant David Ploger, also testified and said that according to Minneapolis police policy, Chauvin should have stopped restraining Floyd after he was cuffed and stopped resisting. He also said that officers were trained on the positioning of suspects when restraining them, and that it was taught that leaving someone on their stomach for too long can restrict breathing. The prosecution played audio indicating that Officer Lane actually asked if they should turn him on his side, and Chauvin said no. Poger also added that he had spoken on the phone with Chauvin moments after George Floyd was taken away in the ambulance, but that Chauvin neglected to mention how long he was on Floyd's neck during the conversation. Oh, you mean like the entire story, Derek? The fallout from the voter suppression law in Georgia is growing. The MLB All-Star Game, that's baseball, FYI, is scheduled for July in Atlanta, and they have now been facing calls to move the game out of Georgia due to the law. President Biden told ESPN that he would strongly support pulling the game out of Atlanta. Meanwhile, voting rights groups in Georgia are calling for a boycott of Georgia companies, including Coca-Cola, Delta, and Home Depot, starting next Wednesday in response to the law. This is all going on while Georgia lawmakers are threatening to take away a huge tax break from Delta because they spoke out against the new law after they had that internal memo that was kind of in favor of it. So unclear where they all stand, but either way, boycott starts next Wednesday. We're about to enter a little bit of a tragedy corner of the podcast, so if you're not feeling that, maybe skip ahead by about a minute. A gunman opened fire at an office building in Orange, California yesterday, killing four people and wounding a fifth, including a nine-year-old boy. Police said that the shooter, who survived but was critically wounded, knew all of the victims either personally or through business, though the precise relationships are still being determined. Either way, ban assault rifles. The acting head of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, Regina LaBelle, revealed yesterday that drug deaths spiked dramatically during the pandemic, up roughly 27% compared with the previous year. 88,000 Americans were lost due to overdoses of mostly illicitly manufactured fentanyl and synthetic opioids between August 2019 and August 2020, with Americans aged 35 to 44 most at risk. The White House also unveiled a seven-part plan to combat the spike, including removing bureaucratic hurdles for doctors to prescribe medication, which helps patients with opioid use disorder avoid relapses. Ultimately, the intent is to shift the government's response away from law enforcement and drug arrests and instead toward healthcare and treatment. 
Johnson & Johnson is reporting a setback in its vaccine production, saying that a contract production plant called Emergent Biosolutions produced an ingredient that failed quality control tests. Johnson & Johnson said quality control checks had flagged the problem before the problematic batch affected more doses. And the New York Times reported that potentially 15 million doses were affected, though that figure is unconfirmed by the manufacturers. And lastly, since you just made it through a bunch of really shitty news, we have a new update about Matt Gates. He allegedly showed off photos and videos of nude women to other lawmakers, including while on the House floor. Two sources who were directly shown the photos told CNN that one of the videos showed a naked woman with a hula hoop and that Gates talked about having sex with the women he showed. You know, Matt, this is supposed to be the House of Representatives, not the House of Frat Bros. Thank you for listening to the morning announcements. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to show your support, head over to our iTunes feed to rate, review, and subscribe, or follow this podcast if you're listening on Spotify. For our episode of Afternoon Tea this week, I interviewed Anne Helen Peterson, writer, culture critic, and author of the book, Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. You also may have heard her on DST a few weeks ago, and we're so excited to have her back. If you haven't heard what the afternoon tea is about, I'll be sitting down with some of the most interesting people in politics and media to chat about the things we care about most. So be sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen and stay tuned for a quick teaser from today's episode. Until next week, I'm Sammy Sage, and now you know what the fuck is going on. I guess I just would love to hear kind of like your take on what post-pandemic work life will be like, what the drawbacks will be of long-term spending most of our times in our homes, at least for people who are working, you know, in an internet job on the, you know, in an office kind of thing. I think the hardest thing for people to get their brains around right now is that what we've been doing for the last year is not at all what it's going to look like moving forward. The ideal scenario is that whatever amount your office decides that you can work from home. So sometimes I think that that that's going to be the future is like lots of different flex scenarios where it's like, come to the office two days a week, right? And then the rest of the time is really about shaping work to your needs and your schedule instead of shaping your life around work's pretty arbitrary schedule of nine to six or whatever it is. Betches.